Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. If we are to fully put ourselves and our bodies to use and in service to those around us, there really isn't any excuse for not being strong. That phrase gets thrown around a lot without keeping the literal definition in mind. I don't mean mentally, emotionally, or spiritually strong. I mean strong. Your body is strong. You have muscle and you can use it to do difficult things. This requires dedication and patience, which is why when you see someone who is truly strong, you know that they have both of those qualities in spades. My guest today is Matt Reynolds, CEO of Barbell Logic. Matt has been in the strength world for 30 plus years as a competitor in powerlifting and strongman, gym owner, coach, and entrepreneur. In this conversation, we discuss Matt's journey with the barbell and why he believes strength training is superior to other training styles, how to create sustainable habits, how to make great coffee, which is both literal and a metaphor, and why Christian men specifically need to be taking their fitness and strength seriously. This was a great conversation with a ton of applicable insights, so enjoy this episode of the Nomad Strength Show with Matt Reynolds. Everybody, welcome to the Nomad Strength Show. Ross Hillier, your host. Today, I'm joined by Matt Reynolds, Barbell Logic, Barbell Logic Podcast, all things barbell work, really. Thanks, man, yeah. for making time. I'm excited to talk to you today. Hey, man. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to have a good conversation today, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I've been following um, the podcast for, I mean, several years now. Uh, I go yeah. through, I, I kind of like everything, I go through cycles where I'll listen to everything for like two months and then move yep. on to the next one. You know what I mean? And so I do the same thing. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. It was always one of my really, really favorite barbell focused, obviously at the name of the show, but sure. Um, Cause you're a starting strength guy. Yep. And uh, 
I've, I go through phases in my training as well. And that was one of the, when I, when I found you guys, I was really diving into a lot of barbell stuff. So it was very educational and awesome for me. And, uh, also one of the influences of the podcast, I was right awesome. around the, it was right around the time that I was really getting into like, man, a podcast would be kind of fun. And yeah, that's great. All kinds of, and there's some really cool ones. It was you guys and, and Barbell Shrugged and yeah. a couple of others that were. I did, I did that one years ago too. I yeah. Think like in 17, maybe I did that. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into a lot of this training stuff with you. Oh, cool. And, uh, I really want to start where we go back in time a little bit and, and get a little bit of your training history, because sure. uh, you've done a lot of stuff in the strength world for a long time now yep. of your strongman, powerlifting, all of that kind of stuff. So what was your kind of original trajectory into the barbell as a, you know, essentially as a career now? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was a, a pretty average athlete in high school. I love playing sports, super competitive. Uh, I, I usually say I was painfully average in, uh, athletic, in athletics. <laughs> I usually started most of the teams that I played on, but I was definitely the worst starter on the team. Like it, yeah. I, I can definitely, I'm certain that I was the worst starter on the team. And I us, usually could look at the guys on the bench and there were a couple guys on the bench that were clearly more talented than I was. Yeah. Uh, but I was a hard worker and I had to work, you know, very, very hard for everything that I accomplished in athletics, which wasn't very much. And, uh, but I, but I think it, it actually made me a better coach by having to, to try harder. I, I didn't get as, as good of a return on investment off the work as a lot of people do. And so actually it's sure. funny. I was just watching yesterday. I've, I was watching the last dance again, which I've watched about four times, <laughs> right. uh, yes. you know, cause I'm a child of the nineties and, and the bulls and, and, you know, yeah. Michael Jordan got such an incredible rate. I mean, he was probably the hardest worker that ever lived. I mean, he and Kobe the hardest workers ever uh, as basketball players. But, but I also think that he got probably more ROI off that work than anybody else. And, and one thing that's yeah. tough about being an average athlete is the ROI is not great and you have to work, you have to outwork everybody. And so that really, those early years in sports and team sports really set the, the tone and the culture for me to build uh, a tremendous amount of work capacity to just work. Yeah. And because I had to, to, to be decent enough to play. And so, um, you know, again, as a child of the eighties and nineties, weightlifting wasn't a huge piece of it's, it wasn't such a huge piece of athletics like it is today. And so it was just starting to get there. Of course, the internet was very new in the nineties. And so, um, I discovered weightlifting really my senior year of high school. It's funny because anybody that gets into this and, you know, you, if you haven't done it, no age is too old to get into this. As a matter of fact, I right. literally just wrapped up training my 87-year-old uh, female client. She's fantastic, Miss Sybil, that a lot of, a lot of people that, that know me know her. That's and, awesome. uh, you know, she didn't start training until she was 79, and she's 87 now. So, and yet I still look back and I'm like, gosh, I wish I had gotten into this when I was 12 or 13, you know. <laughs> right. And so certainly 17, 18 is not, not uh, it's still pretty young. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I kind of fell in love with lifting. I, I did some, some very, um, you know, not, not, not big shows or anything. Just did some, some basic competitions in high school okay. that were just kind of low level, like lineman type competitions yeah. in football, which I didn't even play. I was a basketball and kind of track person. And so, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it really, the lifting came kind of more naturally to me than even the sports did. And, uh, and I love the systematic approach to training where you could just mm -hmm. add a little weight yeah. all the time. Yeah. 
And so I really fell in love with that my senior year of high school. I actually ended up this my second semester, the semester that you graduate in spring semester of 97, long time ago. Um, I, I took weights as a class, but then I was also a, a student aide or teacher's aide uh, for, for another, so for weights as well. So I had it two hours a day. Nice. And I could both coach a little bit and work a little bit and train a whole bunch. And so... So that's really how I got started. And then when I got out of high school, I, was, um, I wasn't good enough to play anything in college. Mm-hmm. And I needed a competitive outlet. And so I just started training. I, and really at the time when I first started this at you know, 18, 19 years old, I, was, I knew I wasn't going to be a bodybuilder. I knew I wasn't going to stand on stage with a pink thong bikini and oil my body up and have a <laughs> beauty pageant with other dudes. That wasn't what <laughs> right. I was going to do. So I, I didn't really know that there was even anything else out there. And so within a year or so, I discovered the sport of powerlifting, you know, which is a sport where you just lift as heavy as you can. You squat, you bench press, you deadlift. You eat copious amounts of calories and, you know, eat pizza and drink beer and all. And I was like, this sounds great. Sounds and awesome. so this is the sport for me. <laughs> and so uh, I started doing that and started competing in powerlifting, uh, I think by 99, somewhere in there. And uh, was a decent powerlifter, was never going to be world class. But um, I totaled elite, which is the top level of, yeah. of what you can total in powerlifting, I think in four weight classes. So 220, 242, 275, and 308s. I graduated high school at 155. Holy and so, cow. you know, in a course of about a year, a little over a year, I pushed my body weight from 155 into the 220 class and into the two, 242 class and was really hovering around 250. So I, I gained about 100 pounds in about a year. My parents were terrified that I was going to. That's I intense. Them, yeah, I remember them saying I was going to be the, the, you know, most jacked guy in the coffin when I, <laughs> when I died. And so, you know, and I did crazy stuff like drink a gallon of milk a day, whole milk a day. And oh, yeah. I, I actually did that for about seven years, pretty much every day for seven years. And so in uh, 2005, I turned my attention to strongman. So after competing in, in powerlifting okay. for five or six years and doing decent and pretty well, uh, decided that I just wanted to change a pace. One of the things about powerlifting is it's the same thing all the time, right? It's all squat, the time. bench press, yep. deadlift, squat, bench press, deadlift. And you do some accessories and stuff, but really the focus is on those numbers and how do you hit the highest weight you can possibly hit in those numbers. And I, and I hit pretty good weights. Uh, at, back in those early days, it was what's called geared powerlifting. So you would wear things like squat suits and bench shirts. Just imagine wearing, like if you squatted in the tightest, thickest pair of jeans you could ever imagine that you were certain you wouldn't blow the butt out, uh, you could squat a lot more. And so yeah. it, it was, uh, nobody really uses those anymore, but at the time, everybody did. And so- And that was a big you, thing at, with Westside. That's what a lot of what exactly Louis right. does with, yep. the, with the geared stuff. That's right. So Westside, I was a huge Westside fan. Uh, and really that was actually my introduction to the sport of powerlifting. I found a powerlifting USA. I was on vacation um, with my family down in Destin, Florida, went to like a Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of powerlifting USAs. I remember Louie and Westside were on the cover of one. And I read those magazines in the, in the olden days and started to look for powerlifting meets in my area in the Midwest. I'm in oh, Southwest nice. Missouri. I looked at Oklahoma, you know, and so I started to compete and of course, wasn't very good in the beginning, but you kind of learn stuff. And and so I competed and enjoyed the the process of competition. Also, interestingly enough, in, in kind of watching Jordan in The Last Dance, he loved practice. He loved it. Yeah. Practice was his favorite thing. And for me, training was kind of the same thing. I love training every mm-hmm. day. I love the competition as well, but I actually love training more. I love the process of going, getting to ready for the competition even more. And so 
Um, and so, so after five or six years, I wanted to just have a little more variety in my training. And so I started thinking about strongman. I'm not a, a super big guy, even as I put on weight and got into like the 300s or low 300s of body weight, mm -hmm. I'm six one. You would think okay. six, six one, 300 pounds is a pretty big guy, but I, I won my pro card. So I started competing in 2005. I won my pro card as a, and became a pro strongman in 2006. And I won it at the same show that Brian Shaw won his, and he's since won the World's Strongest Man, I think, I think four times. Yeah. Uh, at the time, we can, so he's six seven, and he weighed about the same as me at the time. So like upper 200s. Crazy. Uh, you know, so 290, so 275, somewhere there. But he got up to the point where he was six seven four forty. Yeah. So if you look at him or you look at Thor from Game of Thrones, yep. like those, these guys are just massive, massive guys. And so mutants. Yeah. Mutants. I mean, they're yeah. <laughs> the Nephilim. And, <laughs> and so it's, uh, I knew I was never going to be in the world's strongest man. So mm -hmm. I competed on that circuit from 2006 to 2009 as a pro strongman. Uh, the highest I ever uh, achieved was 12th in the U.S., which is not bad, but what it was at the time is like top three, made yeah. the world's strongest man. So I did, I did well, did fine. Um, I, you know, I went from being really the best amateur in the country to the worst pro in the world. Is kind of what you know it was like going right. from college football to to the NFL. And yeah. So, uh, but that that's really how I, you know, I I sort of got my beak wet in the uh, in the strength training world, and it gave me that competitive outlet after high school when I I wasn't good enough to play college sports, and so I just fell in love with that stuff. And on top of just the training, I really fell in love with the the knowledge and the education surrounding it, and so. In the late 80s, early 90s, communism falls, obviously, and these a lot of these Soviet coaches that were the 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 Russian or the Soviet team coaches, they came to the US. They started, they became professors at different universities. A lot of guys ended up being at Penn State. I don't know why specifically mm, they were there, but they translated a lot of their their books that they had written in Russian. They translated into English. And so I can remember going down in sort of the catacombs of my university at Missouri State University where I, was, where I was getting my undergrad and finding all these old, you know, these Soviet books from the from the late 80s, early 90s and and felt like I had found sort of the holy grail. And it's really what a lot of the stuff that Louis and Westside did. Yeah. Um, he based a lot of his training style on what the Russians had done for years and, yep. and the Bulgarians on some level. And so um, that conjugate style training. So I I just, I just devoured everything I could get my hands on and, and read all those books. And again, early days of the internet, uh, had a coach, uh, his name is Glenn Penley, uh, who's, yeah. who's since passed, but one of the, he was one of the best Olympic weightlifters in the country at the time. And then coach, uh, started coaching for Ripito at, uh, at Wichita Falls with the starting strength crew. And before there was any such thing as starting strength before that book was written. Yeah. And so just, I, I, on some level, I also just kind of got lucky that I got into that world with Louis, Louis Simmons and Dave Tate and Glenn Penley and Ripito and all those guys. And so, uh, while I was, while I was pursuing that practically in the weight room, I was also really diving deep on the, on the knowledge side. And so, um, that's, that's really how the competitive stuff started. Yeah. And that's what ended up ushering me into the business world of, I started my own gym in 2008 called strong gym, which ended up growing to be one of the largest uh, strength training gyms in the country. I think we had 22 guys that could deadlift over 700 pounds. I mean, it was wow. you know, a thousand members, which is pretty good size. That's awesome. And again, you're talking about in Springfield, Missouri. So, a, you know, a town of like 200,000 people, it's pretty, pretty good size. And so, uh, yeah. So over the, when I got into kind of the late 2000s, 2008, 2010, 2012, my work really started to transition from competitive athlete to 
coach and business owner in, yeah. in the gym. And so that's, that's yep. kind of the background story of how I got here. Was the, was the coaching stuff something that you were doing while you were competing in powerlifting and strongman throughout that time? Or? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I just, I think I just liked helping people. I think a lot yeah. of people do this anyway. We, we see clients all the time at Barbell Logic who, who fall in love with strength training. They get strong. At first they want to train their, their wife or their kids or their neighbor yeah. or their guys they go to church with or whatever. And so, um, and then they pursue that a little more and become professional coaches and end up doing this. So for me, I was, I was, uh, I was a public school teacher. I was wrapping up my master's to be a public school, to be a, a high school principal and thank God I'm not in the public school system anymore, but <laughs> so I haven't done that since 2012. But at the time that was kind of what I was doing for the day job. And so, um, you know, I, I loved to coach and I kind of did that as a side gig and, and made a little money on the side. And eventually I was making more money in this part-time side gig than I was, as a, which yeah. is not that hard as a public school teacher because they don't pay them anything. Right. And, and so eventually made the leap uh, in 2012, stopped teaching, started coaching full-time and running the gym full-time. And then it was kind of off to the races. So sold sold the gym in 2015 um, to a, to one of my business partners at the time and, and went full-time online with Barbell Logic. So yeah. Barbell Logic is, is, a, one of the larger online coaching companies in the world. We, um, the thing I think that differentiates more us more than anybody else is that we actually still really focus on coaching techniques. So people don't buy yeah. programs from us. I mean, certainly we program for them. We've got, uh, our own, our propri- proprietary software. Uh, we provide excellent personalized coaching, but we actually have our clients film all their lifts, and yep. we break down those lifts every single day, um, every you know, within 24 hours. And so, as a matter of fact, That's just awesome. a few minutes before we did this call, I was breaking down some videos, and I still love to do it. I, I, um, our software is so good and allowed us to be so efficient. There was a time when I had over 100 clients online. Now we have about 1,500 clients in the business, and I had backed off to about 10. Okay. Uh, but I, but I'm back up around 25 or 27, somewhere there, a little under 30. And, um, including guys like Eric Kahn and some of the guys that are probably yeah. your listeners would be familiar with. So, um, Brett McKay from Art of Manliness, I've coached yeah. him for about six or seven years. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I remember thinking at some point that I, I was kind of transitioning from specifically competitive athlete, part-time coach to full-time coach. And I'd still compete some, and I'd still, I haven't competed in a couple of years. I would like to probably do another few powerlifting meets at some point yeah. when I, when I wasn't really able to do strongman anymore, it's just so hard on your body. Uh, and the business had taken off enough that I couldn't devote that kind of time to sure. training. Um, I still got back in and did some, some back to more raw powerlifting. So, you know, just a belt basically in yeah. these sleeves, um, got rid of all that kind of powerlifting gear and stuff. And so, um, we'll see. I'd still like to compete some in my master's days. I'm in my mid forties now. And, and, uh, but, uh, I really love the work I do as CEO of, of Barbell Logic at this point. I was going to ask about the, that competitive kind of drive. Cause I think that exists in all, you know, I, and I know it exists in all men to some degree, but if we don't have that outlet, it can be very difficult to channel a lot of what we've got inside us, you know, yeah, for and, sure. so, and, and, coming from the the realm where you were competitive at a high level and then not, I'm always interested in those kind of transitions, like how that was where now all of a sudden it's like, I don't have this thing anymore yeah. to as that outlet or as that channel. And so where do you put all of that? Like, did I'm that just, just as, go straight into the business? Yeah, or? I'm just as competitive in business. <laughs> I, don't yeah. know, I don't know how to not be. Uh, right. No, I'm competitive to a fault. I mean, I'm 
I'm competitive about how nice my yard looks or my grass looks compared to all the other, all my neighbors. You Best know I mean? grass I on the block. That's right. I just <laughs> yeah. can't. I'm just wired that way. And so um, that has not always been a positive <laughs> in my life uh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, whether it was, you know, ping pong or or powerlifting or running yeah. a business. I mean, I'm just, I'm just uh, wired to be competitive. And so and I, I think for me, I, I always took pride in the fact that, that I just, I'm, you can't outwork me yeah. and I'm just going to work my butt off. And so um, certainly that is not always a positive as well. That can be a detriment, um, you know, trying to keep things in balance so that I, I lead my family well, lead my mm -hmm. wife and my kids well. Um, I'm a leader in my church, you know, all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. is, is that can, that can, if not careful, can fall by the wayside as you as you focus on whatever the thing is that you're so passionate about. And for me now, that's that's business. So um, certainly, I I'm still incredibly competitive and 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 on some level consumed by the business. But uh, but I'm I'm thankful that I'm I've gotten better at being able to turn it off when it's sure. when it's time to turn it off. As a matter of fact, I met my I met one guy for discipleship this morning at six, and I met Brandon, my pastor, at seven fifteen, and had great meetings with him. And came back and trained a client, and then, you know, on onto this call and off to the races. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think that most men are going to be wired one of two ways. They they're either wired for kind of laziness and passivity. They're the guys that that probably struggle with getting up early in the morning. They spend too much time playing yeah. video games or or screwing around and, or you're the other side where you're probably wired more to be a, a workaholic and you've got to keep that in balance as well. So, so there's, there's always, uh, or at least for the vast majority of men out there, I think there's always going to be kind of a struggle to keep those things in, in the correct balance. Where were those struggles for you? Like early on in the business, what, how did you balance a lot of that stuff out? Well, not very well is, what I, <laughs> is how I balance that out. Uh, you know, I've got a, my oldest is, uh, my daughter is 18. She graduates high school this year and we've homeschooled her for most of her, most of her educational life doing, doing mm -hmm. classical education. And so, no, I, I wasn't, I probably wasn't a very, I, not probably, I was not a very good dad for years because I focused so much on the business and what I had to do. And, and, you know, you justify that by saying, well, you're doing this for your family and to provide a life for your family. And certainly we were able to do that. We've been tremendously blessed in business success and, and financially. And uh, But the last six or seven years in the business, part of that also is as the business grows and, and you hire good people, if, you're, if you've got, in the beginning when you're a founder uh, of a company that ends up growing to some level of success, you, you have sort of superhero mentality where you you think you can do it better than everybody else. And actually you probably right. can do it better than everybody else, but that's unsustainable long-term. And so for yeah. me, I wanted a business that could ha have value beyond Matt Reynolds. I didn't want mm. Barbara, you know, it's, it's why it doesn't have my name in the business. It wasn't yep. going to be Reynolds strong at what, that's not who we were. And so, yeah. So over time I've learned to, to put those things in balance, delegate where it's important, hire really great people and let them, learn to do things better than I can do them. And so, you know, now my leadership team, my employees, they're much better at their job than I could ever be at their yeah. job. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, I think for most men, that's going to be a learning process. And, you know, there's a, a, certainly I wish I could have learned that lesson without going through the struggles, but having gone through them now, I'm actually very thankful that I was able to get through those and kind of figure out, okay, how to keep my marriage in balance and my fatherhood in, in balance and my, my, um, you know, my investment in my community, church community, neighborhood, things like yeah. that as well in balance. And so, yeah, I, I haven't always done that well, but I think it's, uh, it's gone much better the last six or seven years for sure.
those or those early days in the business was it just because there was so much time being put in you were you were away from family and that's where your focus was was yeah building the I, thing yes out? I mean there's some of that for sure I just think you're all I was just super passionate about what I was doing and I also yeah. think that it didn't take very long before I recognized that I I wasn't probably wired to be a public school teacher for 30 years and so you're you're working sure. essentially two shifts I mean I was you know I was I was trying to build this business at the gym while also working my day job that paid the bills as a teacher. And so I think a lot of guys that end up starting their own business have to do that. You really have to work the normal job that pays the bills and supports the family while then investing that really second shift time into the business that you're that you're passionate about. And then at some point, sure. what, one of the hard things about that is that for a lot of guys is they end up making their, you know, base salaries, whatever, let's say they're making 50 grand at the regular job. And then you get to making 30, 40, 50 grand at the new job at the thing they're passionate about, it's really hard then to quit the main job and go from making $100,000 a year back to 50. Uh, but that's what I did. And, and yep, and it just made me probably a little more hungry to go, well, I've got to step up my game here in the business. And so, um, you know, that's really it. And then also like we went through, I've been pretty open about the fact that in those kind of 2009 to maybe 2012, 2013 was not a great time in our life as far as just, um, you know, I had a lot of sin in my life and I was not my relationship with the Lord. I wasn't really focused on that. And so, um, you know, I was trying to deflect those things. And, and, and I, I would often use being away from home, uh, working on the business to do other things that I really shouldn't have been doing. So, so as, as my relationship, both with my wife and kids and church, but also even more importantly, my relationship with the Lord have really uh, come to fruition over the last six or seven years. I think it's it's really helped me find balance there in the business. So I I think I'm a far better business owner today than I was then, even though I probably work less hours. I definitely work less hours, but I'm also yeah. not distracted by the you know by the things of this world that that distracted me back then. So um, yeah. you know it's just I'm just young and stupid and and uh and arrogant and selfish and and so you do things that uh, you're not proud of. But you know likewise if I could have learned those lessons, having not gone through them, I would, I would have chosen that I would choose that. But I also, right. I, I was able to learn those lessons because of those times in our life. And so right. my marriage is stronger than it's ever been. My relationship, with my kids, my relationship, with my church, and my relationship with the Lord are, are all in great places. And and then because of that, I think my, my relationship and balance with the business is, uh, is outstanding as well. So that's um, awesome. yeah, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. It's not knock on wood. And it's a, uh, it, we're in an incredible place in our life and have been for the last several years that, that I know that we are called, we can get into this some, but one, one of the big things that we yeah. sort of preach at Barbell Logic is voluntary hardship. We choose to do hard things yeah. and it yeah. refine. I think it refines us as people. It refines us as men. And I don't think weight, weightlifting is, or strength training is the only way to do that. But I think it's a very good general thing that the vast majority of people or all men should be doing. Um, and so we know that life at some point is going to throw us involuntary hardship. And if I've yeah. chosen to do hard things, that when I'm thrown into hard things, I can better handle the hard things that I didn't choose. And so, you know, all of the, there, there's a part of me that certainly has some regret of the sin and the, the way I handle those things. But there's another part of me that's like, I'm thankful that I was, I was able to, to be refined through those. So I, I think I was refined both. Uh, I have been by the voluntary hardship, but also in the v involuntary hardship, or I guess I'd call it involuntary hardship of, of yeah. things I've been thrown into just because of my own selfishness or sin. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, we've the, been really blessed. 
sure. the voluntary hardship. I really love that phrase because there's a oh man, and I'm I'm gonna struggle to remember. I think it might even been. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna assume I remember who it was that said it, but essentially, you know, throughout all of human history, from a from a physical perspective, we've always naturally done hard things because we yep. had to. Yep. You know, and it's only been in in the last you know, half a century or a little over that, right. that we've gotten so much abundance and comfort that we don't need to do those things. And so the gym is like, we have to go out of our way to like go create this essentially like fake work kind right. of that, you know, a century ago was just, that's how what, people what you did. That's right. It's yeah. just, you know, you woke up and you did, you know, and more than what we do in the gym, like just the lifestyles we're much more physically demanding just to survive. Yeah, that's and exactly right. what happens uh, is the way that we are designed and built is we actually thrive under those under those situations where yeah. we're where we're stressed out or we're we're toiling, right? Like physically laborious. Like that's, that's right. when we are at our best instead yep. of when we get to sit in the rewards of all of our work, essentially. That's right. Yeah, I, this is why I think training in the gym and choosing voluntary hardship is that much more important today than it has been for all of human history because, yeah. you know, you think about your grandpa or your great-grandpa, I mean, he's probably a farmer or, you know, he had some sort of some sort of manual labor job and, you know, he's mm-hmm. mechanics, farmers, think, you know, people that worked with their hands and we just, you know, now we work in offices and in cubicles and sitting at a computer all day and, you know, and that includes yep. me running an online business as a CEO and, and, um, and so I have to choose to go out and do hard things. And so I do. So I love, I love to train. I love to go out and, and, uh, you know, hike with my wife, go out in the mountains and up in elevation and you're sucking wind because there's not enough oxygen mm-hmm. up there. But like, I love that stuff. And, and on some level, you know, it, it, well, it, it certainly refines us, but on some level there, there is a, there is certainly a sense of accomplishment that says like, listen, mo- it's yeah. not about feeling like you're better than anybody else, but there's a part of me that goes like, you know, most guys aren't, aren't choosing this. And I get an opportunity to choose this and choose rightly and do these hard things that I'm not forced to. No one's ever going to make you put a barbell on your back with 315 pounds and squat it. You have to choose that. And so, you know, certainly there were, for much of life, you had to go out and build your home and you had to, you know, you had to harvest the vegetables and, and go do all the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And we just don't have to do that anymore. And so. Uh, we bought a cabin and some land a few years ago and, you know, paid the excavator to come out and nice. excavate the land and do the stuff. And I wasn't out there cutting down trees. You know, that's what the machines are for now. And <laughs> right. so, which is exactly right. why I have to squat because we don't do that exactly. stuff anymore on a day to day. I don't chop wood. I, I hire a guy to dump a cord of wood on my driveway and the hardest work I do is loading <laughs> it into the, into the wood holder, you know, so. <laughs> right. That's, what, that's what's crazy is the, yeah, exactly. And what's crazy is that there's the the concept that you won't understand it until you actually go through it, but there's this idea that you won't realize how poorly you were feeling until you start feeling good. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. 
For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's right. Again, you know, like we kind of just live in this, this state where we're used to it, even though like we don't feel bad necessarily or broken or sick or wherever, but then you start training and you start doing these things and you realize how good you're feeling. You're like, holy cow, how was I ever living this other way before this with all of this now I feel great. And there, yep. and that's how you start that. That's where I think most people, you know, you see this as a coach, obviously when people feel that the first time, that's when they're like, Oh, this guy's bought in now. Now yes. I know that he's, he's in and he's going to want to continue to do this. That's right. That's what really leads to the sustainability, like to make this sustainable is, you know, and I think in the beginning you have to be, you know, you, you, Jocko talks about, you know, discipline equals freedom and discipline over motivation. Yeah. And I, I do think there's some truth to that, but I, I don't think that white knuckle discipline is very sustainable. And so yeah. what we do is we make a choice to do a hard thing that we don't really want to do. And whether that's, you know, squatting or getting up at 430 in the morning or both or whatever it is. But what you'll find mm-hmm. is that the, the fruits of those labors come pretty quick. And when they do, and you start feeling incredible and you're able to add, you know, five pounds to the bar every single workout and that becomes addicting and it becomes motivating. So, so two weeks in, three weeks in, four weeks in, it's no longer discipline over motivation. I'm motivated to do the thing because I feel great. I don't feel, I'm not the same person I was four weeks ago. I'm a, I'm a bigger, stronger version of myself, uh, a healthier version of myself. You know, it's the same thing. Like I've, I've recently, after being a competitive athlete for so long and trying to hold my body weight over 300 pounds, which wasn't easy, uh, you know, I'm yeah. 44 and I don't need to weigh 300 pounds anymore. I'm not a competitive strongman. And so, so I've, I've lost about almost 45 pounds and, and, you know, just really cleaning up my diet and eating, you know, healthy, clean foods. I'm not eating like a bodybuilder. I'm not going to eat chicken breast and broccoli all day. Uh, but I have a good, yeah. a right relationship with food. And as I've developed that, it's the same thing. The way I feel, the way I, I sleep so much better, you know, the sleep apnea goes away, the breathing is better, the yeah. resting heart rate is better, all of those things. And so, and, and so while I wasn't motivated to stop eating crap in the beginning, once you kind of get through that initial window of, of getting through it, the motivation comes. Now you're like, now I just, I love it because I love the way it makes me feel. And so uh, yeah. I think that's what's one of the best things about, about fitness in general, strength, fitness, health, nutrition, is that it, there's a pretty, pretty quick payoff. While, while you may not be able to see a tremendous difference in the mirror two weeks later or three weeks later, you feel tremendously right. different two to yes. three weeks later. And so then all of a sudden yep. that motivation leads to that building those sustainable habits, which I, I think is what it's all about. So in that regard, as it comes to habits and instilling the discipline for, for you personally, what are some of these things that you use to help develop those habit systems or things that you found that work for you? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question that I don't know that I've been asked on a podcast before. The the <laughs> so there, there's a book that came out a few years ago called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've you've read it, but James it's a great Clear. habit. Yep, it's a great habit based book, and it it really is as practical as doing things like in that book he talks about making if you're trying to adopt a good habit, making it easy, making it like cutting it up into little bite sized chunks, uh, making it attractive, yeah. you know, doing those things so that. If I want to work out every morning, uh, first thing in the morning, you know, it, it could literally be as simple as just setting out the workout clothes so that when I get up first thing in the morning, the workout clothes are there and it's ready and uh, like I'm going to do the thing. And so I yeah. think finding those things make it sustainable. I think for me, recognizing what your non-negotiables are on some of those things so that, you know, there are certain things like oh, I'm yeah. never going to give up red meat, which I don't think that it's unhealthy, but I'm going to eat red meat. <laughs> right. You know, I'm going to drink some whiskey, not a lot. And so... Those are non-negotiables. If I had, if somebody came to me and said, hey, in order to be healthy, you could never eat steak again. You could never have bourbon again. You could like whatever those things are. Like, I don't know that I want to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, so figuring out for me those things like, but so where can I make the sacrifice? Well, I can. Yeah. So for example, like on the weight loss thing, I, I have, I just eat leaner steak. I eat a lot of tenderloin and sirloin. Mm. I'm not going to eat round steak because it tastes like crap. And so, and I'm a <laughs> right. CEO and make enough money that I don't have to buy round steak. Uh, <laughs> right. But I, you know, I can stop eating the ribeyes because a ribeye is going to be 1400 calories for me and instead eat a filet mignon, which, which is delicious, but only 300 calories. And so I think being smart or, or wise and choosy about where you make those sacrifices I, I don't eat sweets, you know, so I don't, I don't need to eat. It's not like it's hard for me to give up sweets. Um, I, and so I just, I, I try to pick the things that are the minimum effective dose that are going to give me the maximum return on investment. Like what are the little steps I can make that are going to give me the best bang for my buck that yeah. also aren't, that are, are relatively enjoyable and don't feel like I'm sacrificing. So in the, in the process of losing 45 pounds, I've never felt deprived I've never felt hungry. I've never felt like, oh man, I just wish I could go have some Krispy Kreme donuts or or whatever, you know. So it's yeah, it's uh, you know, we eat we eat pizza once a week, but I eat it on a on a cauliflower crust, which is delicious, <laughs> and I don't load it full of pepperoni and high fat meats, and so I still get to eat pizza and I still taste great and I love it, and I'm like, it doesn't feel like a prosciutto pizza with fresh basil and arugula oh. and stuff. It's just it's not just as good, maybe even better. I was going to say better. Yeah, than that a sounds better. Than a greasy <laughs> meat pizza. And so it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. So I think that's the best place to start. Now, at some point, if you're going to get, you know, like world-class level strong or world-class level lean, you know, yeah. which I couldn't care less about being 5% body fat. But if you're going to, you're going to have to make some sacrifices that aren't very fun for a while. Right. Uh, but you also understand that it's just for a time. You're just in a season of that. And you can usually do those things. And so, you know, finding those things that I can look forward to. A lot of times we love to travel, you know, as I, as I got, as I started to lose weight and try to look better and feel better about myself, I set up a vacation for my wife and I to go to Mexico because nice. now I have a thing to look forward to. Like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm eating clean and I'm doing these things. And then I went to Mexico. I went to an all-inclusive vacation where I could eat all the food and drink all the alcohol I wanted. And I still trained every single morning. I got up and, you know, I still woke up early. I did my my uh, business work out on the deck, watching the sun come up over the over the ocean. And then I went to the gym with my wife and then I went to the spa and did the cold plunge in the hot tub and the sauna. And then I would go eat breakfast in the morning and I ate breakfast and I would eat salmon sashimi and boiled eggs. And so like it never felt like a sacrifice. Right. So instead, if it's like I, ha I have to put together seven or eight or 10 things 
that I absolutely hate, I would just argue that it's not very sustainable. So like, I'm not going to run distance because I hate it. Yeah. I hate running. Yeah. Uh, but I like hiking. I like rucking. I don't mind riding my bike for some distance, like some of those cardio things. And actually, I really love doing kind of high intensity interval training with, with body weight circuits or accessory circuits. So maybe I, yeah. rather than having to go out, like oh, I'm going to run five miles, which sounds terrible and not what I want to <laughs> do. And I'm still 250 pounds. So it's not very fun on my, you know, ankles and knees and, and hips right. and whatnot either. Then I can just say, look, I'm going to squat and deadlift. And then I'm going to go out. I've got all these accessory machines out in the garage and, and I'm going to go through a circuit with my wife and I'm going to run, you know, I'm going to do three rounds of three exercises, get nine exercises in my heart rate's going to be 160 the whole time. And I got great conditioning and I did yeah. hypertrophy specific accessory circuits. And so I just, I make it fun, make it enjoyable, yep. make it attractive, make it easy. And then as you cut out the bad habits, you, you do the same thing, but the opposite, you make it less attractive. You yeah. know, if you're, if you've got a problem with, you know, eating crappy food or drinking too much alcohol, you get it out of your house. Yeah. So that if you have to, if you decide you're going to eat something that's crap, you actually have to go to a restaurant to do it or whatever that is. And so I think some of those practical habits, I mean, people almost, they'll, they'll, they'll crap on them a little bit because it's almost oversimplified, but that's, it works. And exactly. so, so I think that's the first thing. So you, you make the ones you want to do attractive and easy and in a bite-sized chunks. We, you know, I don't, when I started losing weight, I didn't throw, I've got probably 25 different um, strategies I could use. I didn't do all 25. I did one yeah. or two. Right. And then I got the habit under my belt and felt like I had a good handle. And then I added another habit. And so yeah. when you do 25, like you can, you can lose a lot of weight in a short period of time or gain a lot of strength or move really quick towards that goal, but it's not very sustainable. And at some point it stops working and you still plateau. Yeah. And then what do you do? Well, like you've run out of, you don't have any cards up your sleeve to play. Exactly. And so figuring out what those things are that are easy and smooth and attractive and whatnot and little bite-sized chunks and also things that don't feel like they're major sacrifices that still move you towards the goal. I think that's the concept, and we talk about this a lot in training, of minimum effective dose for maximum return on investment is is key. I don't I don't want to train for three hours in the gym either. While I love yeah. to train, like I don't have the time to train three hours. And so right. how do I get in and do the exercises and the work that's going to give me the best bang for the buck in the shortest amount of time? Not because I'm looking for a fast way out because I still squat and deadlift heavy and that stuff is hard, yep. but because you just don't need to do it for three hours. Exactly. Because I just don't need to eat chicken breast and broccoli all day. Like I, I can actually, you know, have these things in moderation. And that's a, uh, that's a really encouraging way to look at it for a lot of people because I, I know from experience as well, and I know that you have this experience where they come in assuming that they need to do like the complete 180 on yep. day one in order for it to be successful. And that's like, we know that's not the case. That's why we can make these small incremental changes day to day. There was, a uh, um, his name is Max Shank. I don't know yep. if you're familiar with him. He's out in uh, San Diego. He wrote a book called five minute flow. And it's just, you know, body weight, ground flow, kind of stuff to do in the morning to warm up, get joints mobilized yep. and stuff. But his whole process around it was like, I say five minutes because I know that Every single person in the world has five minutes. That's right. But what's going to happen is if they set a timer for five minutes and they start moving on the ground, what's going to happen? It's like, oh, I can do five more. That's right. Like they I've go got, 10, I, I've got 10 now. Yep. Exactly. And so, but when you put it at that level where it's so easy to attain, they have no choice but to do it. That's right. Then it becomes 
oh, well, I can I can go above that. And then you feel good about yourself because I've done more than what I planned on doing. And now that's it's right. like that's building the confidence, it's building the momentum. And that's how that actually carries through to sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is a great argument, certainly not to not to put out a barbellogic advertisement, but this is why <laughs> this is why coaches are great. When you have a great yeah. coach, good coaches and great coaches understand when a client needs to be pushed. Yep. And when a client needs to have a governor put on or put the reins on them a little bit, and, and because people will often, they, they fitness especially is often a response to an emotional thing that has occurred, mm. right? So, so you know, the, they had a bad breakup or they got divorced or their dad died from a heart attack or, you know, they, they put on the dress that always fit and they always look great. And now it doesn't. Uh, or you, you see yourself, you know, at the pool or the beach with your shirt off. Somebody took a picture of you and you're like, oh my, you know. And yeah. so... And so they respond emotionally, but again, that emotional response doesn't lead to sustainable habit change. And so a right. great coach can, can help kind of see the forest through the trees and help people understand, let's do this, these one or two habits that are going to give us the greatest return on investment. And then once we get a good handle on those, we'll add another habit. Let's not throw every, because yeah. it, again, it's just not sustainable to do that. So anybody can do it for three or four weeks. And certainly, you know, more type A mentally tough people may be able to do it for six weeks or eight weeks, but nobody can do it forever doing every single, this is why bodybuilders don't stay lean year around all the time, right? They're not in right. bodybuilding shape all the time. Like they're literally, they have timed their, everything that they've done for the past 16 weeks for that one hour that they stand on stage. Yeah. And they get off stage and they eat a bunch of pizza and they have this <laughs> massive insulin spike and they sleep for two days and it's, you know, and they're dehydrated, they're on diuretics and all, you know, it's not a healthy thing. And so that that's the goal for us is, and I think another distinguishing factor for Barbell Logic is we try to train normal people to improve their quality of life, yep. not specifically competitive athletes. And certainly we have lots of competitive powerlifters and strongmen and crossfitters and, and even some bodybuilders. But for the most part, the people we're trying to approach are just your, your average everyday person at Barbell Logic who's just trying to improve their quality of life, look better, feel better, be healthier, be stronger, perform better. And if that's the case, then we, we don't have to literally sell our soul to the thing that we're doing. Mm. And because, again, it, it can quickly, those, those fitness things that we're pursuing, those fitness goals that we're pursuing, can quickly really become an idol in our life and the other stuff goes to the wayside. Well, it doesn't, it didn't help if you were able to accomplish the fitness goal and hit the big PRs or win the bodybuilding competition, but you lost your wife and kids in the process. Like that, you know, yeah. it was, so I like that that's, that's the typical client we deal with is are the ones that want to do this so they can be better husbands, better fathers, better leaders in their business or their church or whatever. And, uh, and it makes it a lot, of, I, I think it's easier to get on the same page there for sure. So from a training specific perspective, obviously you came from powerlifting and strongman. So pushing heavy weight is kind of where you started, right? Like For that sure. was at the beginning. So what was it about those, those days in, in the, with starting strength, that's like, this is where I, I want to be. This is like my thing. I, I am on board with this. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question too. I, I think that in the beginning, I, I recognized that strength was, um, it, 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 most efficiently improves all other physical attributes. So when we get strong, and when I say strong, I, I literally mean like the scientific uh, 
definition of strength of improving force production. I don't mean, mm. you know, that's str strong or strength is a word we use in English a lot of times. Well, she was strong because she beat cancer or whatever, right. which is not really true. Like mentally, that was mental toughness and sure. And right. So, um, but strength makes all of the things better. So not only do I get stronger, if someone is, is, um, you know, a couch potato and we teach them how to squat full range of motion, they get more mobile. And they get yeah. more powerful and they get yeah. faster if they were going to run and they get, you know, all of those, they get better cardiovascular endurance. If you've never done heavy sets of five on squats, you know, like when you do that, you're like, oh, my heart rate's 155. <laughs> like it's, you know, <laughs> right. it's a cardiovascular event. And so, but that's not a two-way street. And so while I can take that untrained person and I can, I can teach them how to squat full range of motion and they get stronger and they get more mobile. If instead I just took them off the couch and I put them in yoga class, they get more mobile, but they do not get more strong. And so for me, I think early on, I recognized that it was going to give me the greatest bang for my buck for what I was trying to do. And also, I think just the way my personality was wired, knowing that I didn't want to stand on stage on a bodybuilding competition, like hitting big squats and benches and deadlifts seemed just cooler to me. Right. And so uh, and so I think I was just naturally drawn to that. So yeah, so in that strength world of of West Side and powerlifters and Ripito and starting strength and mm -hmm. Glenn Penley and all those guys... I was just drawn to that and, uh, and, you know, certainly have since I'm very thankful. I, I think on some level there was some, there was some wisdom there that I pursued that, but I also think on some level, I was also just kind of blessed and lucky that, that I fell into that world because often, I mean, people will still fall into the, you know, to the yoga world or the CrossFit world or the soul cycle world or whatever that I would say all those things are good, but they're, they don't give you the bang for your buck in the long term. Uh, change that you're looking for. And I think strength training does that better than anything else, which is why still at Barbell Logic, still with all of these very normal middle-aged men and women, we still focus on strength first. And it's not the yeah. only thing we do, and it's not the only thing I do. Uh, we still do plenty of cardio and body weight stuff and accessories and, and all the things and focus on nutrition. We do nutrition coaching, but strength is still the foundational thing that we focus on for literally 100% of our clients. Nobody yeah. trains at, at Barbell Logic who doesn't strength train. We all right. strength train. Right. And whether that's my 87-year-old client, Miss Sybil, who just got done squatting and deadlifting. And, and uh, you know, she's actually, she deadlifted 150 pounds a couple years ago uh, for a set of five and at that's 85 amazing. or 86. You know, today she's doing 100. She's, you know, missed training because of COVID. She actually broke her hip about, I don't know, eight months ago or so. And she's recovering back from that. But I mean, she still came out and deadlifted 100 pounds for reps today, 87 years old. And so she's still strength training. And so yeah. I think people often, they get caught up in this sort of snowflake mentality. They think that they can't do a thing because they've got a bad back or bad knees yeah. or whatever. Like, listen, Sybil's got a knee replacement and two hip replacements and her whole back is fused together. She still squats and deadlifts. So what, I don't understand what the excuse is. You know, we, right. we, get, we get her strong. We get anybody strong. And when you make those muscles around those joints strong, they make those joints more resilient and less vulnerable to injury. That's the goal. Yep. And so that's how we improve our quality of life. So yeah, it's, it's still the focus of almost everything we do. I, I, I still love strength training for sure. And I've had a problem with using the terms, like when people come in and they say like, I have a bad 
knee mm-hmm. or bad back. Like attaching the word bad like it's a moral thing You're to right. your knee. That's right. It's like, no, you you just have a dysfunctional joint because <laughs> you right. don't do anything. Yep. You haven't done anything for 20 years. Like it's not bad. Like we right. just got to work on it and improve its function. Yep. You know, right. and, and they do this with the same thing with food, right? Like it's good food yeah. or oh, bad I had food. A bad, I ate a bad meal yesterday. Like, yeah. And they attach meal. like high gu- guilt or shame or like That's all right. this stuff. It's like, just make the next choice the better choice. That's right. That's right. You know, it's this, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Brandon Lilly, he always has like the plus one yep. mentality is what yep. he calls it. You know, like the next decision, it make it a plus one. Add, add right. one tick in the positive column to that choice. We have that option every single time we decide to do anything. That's it. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I love that. It's, um, yeah, man, it's, it's just people overcomplicate the stuff. And, you know, you think about from an injury standpoint, we all probably have parents or grandparents or older people that we know, they throw their back out all the time. Yeah. And it's not from deadlifting. It's from dropping their keys on the floor. Yep. And they bend over and pick something up and they twist and ah, there it is, you know? And so what's funny is you never see lifters, power lifters, strongmen talking about their bad back or their bad knee because they don't have bad backs and bad knees because they're strong, right? Yep. You don't ever see people in the Olympics talking about their fibromyalgia because they don't have fibromyalgia because they train, right? Because yeah. that's a, for the most part, it's a psychosomatic disease. And so it's it's yeah. it's real on a level that like they feel pain. Like I, I'm not arguing they don't feel the pain, but you put them in the MRI, there's nothing that shows up that says that anything's wrong. And so what we right. found is that when we can get out of victimhood mentality and we can take some personal responsibility for what we do and decide that, you know, you've, you've got to do this regardless of the cards that you're dealt. Some people, like very few people are dealt cards that are like tremendous athletes, genetically gifted, all the things. Yeah. And even those, and even those guys that are still have bad days and days that they're unmotivated. And, but that's not really what it's about. It's about getting out and doing what we're supposed to do. It's doing the right thing. And so for most of us, we, we have some, some, you know, abnormality or thing that we're struggling with. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a painful muscle joint injury it's a, you know, it's depression or anxiety. It's whatever the thing is. And so what we found again is that strength training tends to make all those things better. Now, I don't think it's the mm-hmm. be all end all. Right. I certainly think there are lots of things in life that are more important than strength. But what I have found is that when we strength train and when we do it for the right reasons and we're trying to improve our quality of life, you'll find that it doesn't just improve your physical life. It tremendously improves your mental ability, mm-hmm. your emotional, your social stability. All of those things become healthier. And so um, you know, and I think for a lot of, of Christian men, I think it is, it is often a missed, uh, it's, it's a hole in their, in their lifestyle that yep. they'll focus on being, you know, great husbands, great dads, great Christians, theologically sound, doctrinally sound, all of these things. But then they're just, you know, they're walking around at 350 pounds and they're eating McDonald's and you're like, we got a self-discipline problem here. Uh, and I, I don't think that's the only place it plays out. I mean, I see, I see the same thing with people with like financial they, they don't know how to steward their money well. And yep. we're called to do all these to steward our body well. Our body's a temple. It's, it is in the new covenant. It is the temple. And so yeah. um, I definitely don't think it's the be all end all. I don't think it's the most important thing, but I think for a lot of people, it is uh, the thing that's probably most efficient for them. So I want let, to, let's get into that for a minute because that's, uh, I was doing, um, and you said you're actually going to go on his podcast in a couple weeks, but I did Will's, uh, podcast a couple months back, uh, Renaissance of Men. And uh, we were talking about this with uh, with Christian men and why this happens, yep. right? Like why we can put so much focus on all these other things that we would, you know, say we're doing well. 
except our physical yeah. body, right? Yeah. And and the the analogy that you use that I that I agreed with, where you said you know it's the temple, yeah. and I, we were talking because we get you you read all of the things that get pushed backwards, like well, there's no. There's no, and there's nothing written that says this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to do. But when you look at that word temple, right? Go back to the Old Testament and look at how specific the instructions were on how to build right. and take care of a temple. Sure, you yes. know, like and if and if that's supposed to be the new the new temple, like there's some pretty clear some pretty clear descriptions of like, For you sure. need to be maintaining this thing of the highest order. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think people fall into the physical realm is not eternal. Well, at right. least not, you know, we're, we're going to get new bodies one day. So right. <laughs> it'll be, maybe we'll all get to deadlift 700 pounds one time. <laughs> but, you know, they look at the physical and they're like, well, that's, there's no eternity attached to that. And so, it's less important. And I, and I actually on some level would agree with that. But, but the problem is, is that we as men are called to take dominion and we, we are called to lead well. And I know for, for certain that weak men don't lead well. Yep. Uh, we see this all the time. And so it is, we are called to be strong men. We're called, as C.S. Lewis said, we're building a, we're building a, a generation of men without chess right? Mm -hmm. uh, was he talking about physical or emotional, spiritual? All of them. All of it. Yep. Because they're all so interconnected. And so, man, yeah, we're called to do this and do it well. And so I think if you want to lead well, if you want to take dominion, if you're called to protect and provide your for your family as you are, that how do you do that as a weak man? You, you don't. And so, so we have to, we have to focus on the things that make us, um, best perform our calling as men uh, to lead our family, our lives, our church, our businesses, our whatever. And that can't be done when you're weak. And so mm -hmm. you're, you know, and then on top of that, there's just, if you're doing this for quality of life improvement, yep. you know, we know God is sovereign and everybody has a, has a date that they're called to go home. But the very real practical implications are is that, I would rather extend my life, you know, with longevity because I'm doing this as well as extend my quality, the quality of my life, right? Most people, yeah. it kind of hit their peak in life and at 28 or 30, and then it's just like this long decline for 40 yeah. years until they die. And I want to maintain a tremendous quality of life for all of the years that I'm here. And yep. then one day just die, <laughs> right? right. Just an, collapse within, and that's right, done. With it's an over. amazing quality of life. And so, yep. uh, again, it's, I think it's hard to argue. I, you know, I think people, I think people will tend to push back on whatever the thing is that they are weak in. And I don't literally mean necessarily physical weakness. Again, it can yep. be wherever they are, wherever they lack discipline, whether maybe it's financial discipline or maybe it's spiritual disciplines, like, whatever that thing is. And uh, Christian men, if they tend to have a fairly good handle on spiritual disciplines or like, well, I've got the important stuff taken care of, that other stuff doesn't really matter. And I would say, no, mm. it definitely does. It does both practically in the practical world, but it also does because I would argue that you can better glorify God and better do the things that we're called to do as men when you are strong. And so um, it's just one of the things that's for a lot yeah. of guys, it's the, it's the, it's the weak link in the chain and I think the other thing we're called to do, and maybe it's not, there's got a lot of guys probably that listen to your podcast that are really into this thing and strength training. But I do think that we're called to figure out what that weak link is. 
So yeah. if it's not strength training, if it's not fitness, but it's something else, um, that's that must be attacked. And so, you know, if you if you struggle with the finances or you struggle with lust or pornography or whatever, like you've got to you've got to search your heart and pursue that and make war on that thing and and make it not the weak link in your in your chain. So, and the the phrase that you used, making war, is like that's the. I mean, that's literally a very, I mean. yeah. literally, like literally. that's, and that's a very strong phrase, but it is because it's that serious. That's right. Yep. Exactly. The, one of the things that we've been talking about this whole time, having the, that first step or, you know, I, I don't know that I would even say it's like the lowest hanging fruit in fitness or, or, or fitness being the lowest hanging fruit, but I think it's way more accessible than a lot of these, a lot of these guys would make it out to be yep. right. Like they, they, for the same reason, like with habits where like, you don't have to make this full 180 degree change in your life on day one for optimal health, but it's way easier to attain by just doing small things day to day. And so when we're making these conscious decisions, like today I'm, I'm, you know, I'll just do 20 minutes. Like if sure. today's the first day I've ever trained in my life, 20 minutes and get a sweat on and lift some heavy Absolutely. things more than enough. Right? right. But this, this concept that we need to have, and it's really like this perfectionism kind of thing. And it usually when you identify with that weak, that weak link in the chain is like you said, it's so much weaker than everything else that that's right. We have this like kind of almost distorted view of what it takes to get it up to the level of everything else. Yep. It's like, dude, just start do one thing today. We have to be people of action Yes. And it's one of the biggest problems I see in fitness. I see it in business. People love, I mean, because we literally have the entirety of the world's knowledge on my cell phone, <laughs> yeah. they, they dive into the pursuit of knowledge, which is great. I think we've got to pursue knowledge in all of these things. And Christian men, especially, especially kind of reformed Christian men, they, they seem to be really, really focused on, on learning as much as they can, which I think is a yeah. wonderful thing. But if all we ever do is learn and put head knowledge in our head, we're never people of action, we've accomplished nothing. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to become a professional trainer before you actually start doing something fit, like walk around the neighborhood with your wife. Yeah, we, I do that every day with my wife. And by the way, it's, it's, a, it's great quality time with your spouse. And if you are completely untrained or detrained, you haven't done anything physical in years, literally walking around the block is a great first step. And that's why I've always mm -hmm. been careful. I would love for everybody to squat and deadlift. I think that's the, the greatest return on your investment are the big four lifts, squat, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, or military mm -hmm. press. I think that's the best thing you can possibly do. But for guys that are just trying to get off the couch, like, and you don't know how to lift and you're trying to feel like, hey, I'm going to work through figuring out how to lift, walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. Get on the bike, do the, whatever it is, right? Like go, go out for a hike. Uh, you know, we're, it's springtime now. The weather's going to start getting awesome. Every city in America has these, you know, has nature centers and trails and botanical gardens. Like get out there and just walk on a trail. Like there's no, mm -hmm. there's no skill that has to be acquired for that. And right. so we have to be people of action. I see the same thing in business. I, I do business mentorship a lot with people. Don't reach out to me if you want business mentorship. I don't really, <laughs> so, but I, it's mostly just, I feel I've, you know, young men in my community that are that are, have seen the success that we've achieved in business and they, they want, want some help with it. And yeah. man, they are, sometimes they've read every business book I'll bring up. Like, have you looked at this or read it? I've read all of it. Like, well, why aren't you putting any of it into practice? <laughs> yeah, do something. Because they just keep reading the books. Like, listen, I love reading. I read books. I read three or four books a week, every week, all the time and have for 20 yep. years. But I'm also a person of action. And so you got to set the alarm 
for 5 a.m. or 4.30 or whatever, and you've, you've got to make the choice to actually do the thing and know that you're not going to do it perfectly in the beginning because you're, you're not a, you're not a professional at this thing, but that's okay. Like, you know, we don't, we don't do that with anything else in our life. Like when I'm, when I'm trying to learn a new, you know, theological concept, I just, I just start learning the thing and start trying to put it into practice, knowing that it's not, I'm not going to get it perfectly right the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, I got, I'm a kind of a coffee snob, you know, my pastor, I'm, Brian, glad, you, he I'm roasts, glad you brought it up. I was going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. He roasts, he roasts great coffee. Reformation coffee, by the way, is phenomenal coffee. And uh, if you want to support the reform community and building into Christendom, that's a great place to go. But, um, I, I bought a nice, um, espresso machine, like a commercial great espresso machine a couple years yeah. ago. Dude, that thing's crazy hard to learn how to make really good <laughs> coffee on. But I wasn't going to read about it for a month until I figured out maybe now I can make a coffee. I just made coffee the first day and yeah. it wasn't that great, but it, it you know, good. like you just dive in and you get better. And so that's exactly what we do with, I mean, that's still what I do after squatting for 30 years. Yeah. I still get in, in the gym and put a bar on my back and squat imperfectly almost every single time. Yeah. And then I, I just do the best I can to make little changes and little tweaks and get a little better each day. Like, again, you go back to the Brandon Lilly thing. It's the plus, it's the plus one. I'm like, I'll, I'm 1% better today than I was yesterday. Yep. And, and you will be amazed at how fast, you know, if, if you go in the gym, my favorite way to program is just what we call basic linear progression. We just do the main lifts. Yep. We start really conservative. We add five pounds at every workout. If you had five pounds every workout, three workouts a week, that's 60 pounds per lift per month. So really, really quick, you get strong, right? Yep. I mean, three months in, you've added almost 250 pounds to your lift. So it doesn't matter where you start. I, I see this from people too. Like they, they want to wait to join Barbell Logic or, you know, back when I owned the gym to hire me as a trainer. It's like they want to get their life cleaned up, right? So yep. you see people do that with church. They're like, I need to get my life cleaned up before I come to church. No, you don't. <laughs> Just start. And so it's, it's, we have to be people of action. That's we're, we're called to do that. So certainly... The pursuit of knowledge is great, but you've got to put it into action. Make the cup of coffee. Screw it up. Figure it out. Like every time you screw it up, it's a learning process. And you learn a little bit and you tweak and you get a little better the next time. And pretty soon you're making real good coffee or you're having real good squats or, you know, whatever. So I love it, man. That was a great place to wrap it up. Thank you for awesome. making thank you for making time today, Matt. I really appreciate it getting to dive into some stuff with you. Same, man. Thank you so much for for having me on the show. Yeah, it was a really fun conversation for sure. Um, before we, before we head out, why don't you give out the links and everything so everybody can sure. follow you and follow Barbell Logic and, and everything you guys are doing? Sure. So one of the things I'll tell people a lot of times with Barbell Logic is we, we make a tremendous amount of content that's always hundred percent free. We're not a content company, we're a service company. So, you know, certainly I would love for people if they, if you're interested in, in being connected with a professional coach to, to coach you online, the, it's, it's about a third of the price of hiring a personal trainer, which is great. And you'll get one of the best coaches in the world. But I also, for me, I, I also know it's, you know, it's still a high ticket item and it takes probably some building of some trust to get there. So what I always try to tell people is like, just consume the content. We have an, an incredible YouTube channel, uh, just Barbell Logic on YouTube. You can type in how to anything, how to squat, how to deadlift, how to bench press. How to, and we, we use super professional videographers, post-production guys. The videos are tight. The, uh, even the long form videos are almost all like five minutes and under. And you can learn how to do all those lifts. So for those guys that are like, I don't know where to start or where do I start the programming? You know, how to program, 
novice programming, beginner programming, Barbell Logic. Search it on on YouTube. That's a great place to start. I've also got the Barbell Logic podcast. We're taking a, a little short break for about six weeks off of that, but it's um, we've got six hundred episodes. And same yep. thing, you can search all that. You can even go to the Barbell Logic website, just barbellogic.com, and search. So those are kind of easier to find. So if, you know, if you go on your podcast, you know, Spotify or something, it's harder to harder to do a search for a specific topic. But if you actually want to learn about a specific topic, you can go in there and search that on the website and it'll give you the link to the podcast. So I would, I would start there. I think it's a great place to go. Certainly Barbell Logic on all the social media accounts. For me personally, I'm Reynolds Strong, mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two places I'll, I'll post some. Um, and yeah, you can, you can follow me for all things sort of strength training and and bourbon and business and uh, that's the, and probably I'm a foodie. So all of those things, and uh, yeah, I would love for you to say say hey and tell me uh, what you thought of the podcast. And I'm always more than happy to help anybody. These guys that, you know, your listeners, they come on and shoot me an email. I'm easy to find. Uh, just search my name on Barbell Logic. You can find my email, reach out. If you got any questions about fitness or strength training, uh, any of that kind of stuff, feel free to do it. I'm always ha- happy to help the community for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for making time, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me.